You are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 79. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. During my trip to South Africa, I had the chance to talk to Joanne Bester. Joanne works as an auctioneer for BKB. And what is so fascinating about Joanne is that she's actually the first woman to work as an auctioneer at the local wool exchange in South Africa since it was established in 1920. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. Just for your background, we recorded the interview in Joanne's office during a very hot day with the air conditioning going in the background. So I hope you don't mind this very um, natural background environment. So Joanne, it's lovely talking to you here in your office at BKB. Thank you for your time. It's a pleasure. And I would like to ask you to talk a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself and tell us about the work that you do in the wool industry. Alright, so my name is Joanne Bester. I am 25 years old and I'm an auctioneer here at BKB. And tell me, what would be a typical day in your job? A typical week would Or probably yeah, be... More accurate. <laughs> would, would involve a lot of technical work in the warehouse, where I currently oversee some of the functions that happen there. On Tuesdays, we often have clients who are visiting the warehouse who will be watching their wool on auction on Wednesdays. And so I help out taking them through the warehouse, taking them on tours, showing them everything that we've changed in the last year and what we're planning to do because we've got quite a lot of new operations happening in the store. And we also have Moe auctions on about every second or third week basically on a Tuesday so it depends on how busy the season is when it's peak season we're more every second week and when it slows down we're about every third week or maybe once a month so on those days I'm normally quite busy because I help out at the Moe auctions also. And what made you decide to become an auctioneer? I didn't actually pick auctioneering as a profession It wasn't something that I dreamed about growing up and I wanted to do that. Mm -hmm. I just really loved the wool trade and I wanted to work in the wool trade and so ended up in Port Elizabeth and quite coincidentally landed up in auctioneering. And what fascinated you about the wool trade that you wanted to work in? I grew up on a farm and my dad's a merino breeder. So as merino breeders go there, we, we're very fond of our wool. And I think that's what fascinated me about the wool industry and getting involved in the industry. And can I ask you also what is like your background? Did you study something in particular? Or? Yes, I did study at an agricultural college. Mm -hmm. So that is just outside of Middleburg, which is close to my hometown. I studied there for three years, did my diploma. It's a very well-known course in small livestock mm -hmm. farming and they've got a very, very good practical that they offer that a lot of the universities don't. So I got a lot of practical exposure at work at studying over there. Okay, excellent. Now, I, you invited me yesterday to sit in on the auction, so I was able to see how an auction goes on. But for our listeners, can you tell us about maybe first the concept of the auction, how, what is all involved, and then maybe later also tell us about 
the actual auctioneering, but let's start with an auction itself. What all does it entail? Right, so if I can create a picture of how the auctions would work, all wool and mohair auctions in South Africa are actually held at the exchange, which is across the road from BKB, which is a beautiful auditorium that was built way back in the wool trade. There are two identical sale rooms that run simultaneously where normally two auctioneers will take turns in conducting the auction for the various brokers who sell one after the other at the exchange. There is a data capture from BKB present the whole time as we record the proceedings live. She also ensures that lot details, price and buyer information is on display for the buyers and the public to follow on a screen that's situated behind the rostrum. There are also ladies from Cape Wools who capture the data at for research and so forth that they use afterwards. And then of course the buyers. There are seven buyers in each sales room, or they represent seven buyers, buyers' houses. And behind them is an area designated to the public, and we often have farmers who come and watch the proceedings when their wool is selling. So BKB would hold an auction, but then also other wool brokers would also hold would also, their yes. auctions. Okay. So generally uh, BKB and CMW are the two biggest traders and we will actually run, BKB will run on bo in both auditoriums at the same time mm -hmm. and so will CMW and we'll take turns every second week who's first and who goes second and then the small brokers are divided in accordingly, they don't necessarily have an auction each week depending on how many volumes they've got. But you sell once, one day per week? Yes, generally, but at the stage we're actually running quite often on Tuesdays as well. Mm -hmm. So like this week we had the tax catalogue and it's a really big catalogue. So in order to get everything fit on one day, we end up running two days. So we sold on Tuesday and for probably about from 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And we sold again on Wednesday from 8 o'clock to 1 o'clock. And that was just BKB, that's not your other brokers. And the tax catalogue is what exactly? That <laughs> is <laughs> when the farmers try to, they, they, they put their, their wool on the auction so that they'll have the least tax implications to pay on it. So we, we just named it the tax catalogue. It's really, um, this is not our peak season anymore. Our peak season has actually just gone over. But this catalogue is always a very big one. It's the mostly the one that comes in about the first or second week of March. And the, the tax year has just started in the beginning of March? Yes. Okay, that makes sense. So okay. That's why they, they try and <laughs> some of them brought their wool in already in December and they'll only sell it in okay. March. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And now tell me, how does the bidding actually work? I heard a lot oh. of numbers yesterday, but how is actually <laughs> the system? Okay, the system in place is that um, the auctioneer and the buyers both have catalogues in front of them from which they sell and purchase respectively. The catalogues have got all the information, all the specs that they need to know and the types and the valuations and that. Of course, um, the buyer's catalog will have a valuation price that we don't put on the seller's catalog. So the auctioneer's catalog has that valuation price that we use as a guideline to put a price on the wool. And then we'll actually have a look at what the market is doing at that stage and we will actually adjust it. So we'll see one type is going much higher today than what it was going last week and we'll put add 10 rand or 20 rand onto our valuation price when we call out a price. So that's basically the starting price that we give as an indication 
either the buyers will take it and they'll carry on or they're going to try and get in underneath it if they reckon that'd be too expensive and once the the first buyer calls out a price the rest will start um, bidding against him so we bid in increments of no less than 10 cents but he can bid more so he can bid 10 rand more if he wants to but he can't go less than 10 cents and then as soon as the last but the, the last buyer has put in his bid we will drop the hammer and then that lot is considered sold so <laughs> but yesterday i heard like the buyers call out like five and then the other one would say ten and then the next one would say six and then it would be ten so what yes. are the what does the ten mean the ten is normally ten cents okay and the five would normally be five rand so you get used to it, it differs slightly in the mains where you probably mm -hmm. saw them selling yesterday and in the stores but you get used to the buyers who are sitting in your auditorium and they will they've got their own ways of, 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 calling, of calling a price so it's actually quite confusing sometimes when I just started and I had to go over to the mains where I don't normally sell and they'll call out one and then I'm like okay that's probably one rand but sometimes they mean 10 cents Okay. And <laughs> so you yeah, you really get used to I think in South Africa because we've got such a small amount of buyers we can sort of get away with the fact that everyone's got their unique way of calling it out. I'm pretty sure in Australia that wouldn't work. And you you purely now know all their voices so you know exactly who called out the last price? Yes, yeah. in general you would know. Uh, we do sometimes have situations where where a buyer would bid quite softly. And then you can't always hear him, so in that case you actually have to look at him to see when he's bidding. And when two people call at the same price at the same time, what do you do? I would normally tell them that the bid has landed on two places. So they and sometimes they'll actually check you just to make sure that you're not taking a chance. Mm -hmm. And then I'll tell them, no, listen, it's between Stukkenod and it's between Standard Wool, for example. And they'll either sort it out amongst the two of them, where Stukun might say, okay, no, don't worry, you can take it, or mm -hmm. they'll just proceed bidding mm -hmm. until they've worked it out. And one of your colleagues told me the other day that you, you know well how to work the room. So what does that mean, that you to get people bidding again, or what are these tricks that you was mentioning? I would assume this would differ slightly depending on the buyers that are actually in front of you as I mentioned mm -hmm. everyone's got their own their own ways of doing things but um, I would I would reckon that the most important things that it makes an auctioneer effective would be to be able to distinguish the buyers voices firstly so that you don't necessarily always have to look at them as it would take more time because mm -hmm. you need to concentrate on what you're busy selling and then to demand and maintain an even pace and rhythm in the auction. It makes it a lot easier when everyone gets used to the flow of, of how you're running the rhythm. And then obviously to know the price for a specific type of wool and to know when it's under its valuation price and you need to know this on behalf of the of the clients. I mean mm. he's expecting you to not sell that wool under under market value. So you've got to know your, your types and know when when it's not a reasonable price so that you don't sell it. then to get it higher? Then I will normally just, uh, I'm always honest with my buyers so I, I yesterday actually told them at a stage they didn't want to, 
to bid and I, I actually said to them, listen, I'm not going under this price, I'm not selling it under the price and then they did bid. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's also just a reluctance, it's just a, I'm taking a chance to see how low we can go or who's going to actually start the first price and mm -hmm. no one's want, willing to pull out, call out the first price. If they're not willing to buy it for that price, I'll rather take the chances and re-offer it in another mm -hmm. auction than to sell it under its valuation price. But most often it's just a case of they're hanging in there to see who's going to put in the first bid and they actually very often do eventually bid if you tell them that we're not going to sell it. Okay, I see. And it's right what you say that there needs to be a rhythm because yesterday I also felt it's almost like music, uh, like a rap song or something. Like yes. It, it has a real rhythm to it, everybody mm -hmm. sticks to a certain it when they call it. It does tend to take a very mm. tangible kind of rhythm that you can you can feel and if you don't have that rhythm it gets difficult because mm -hmm. when then you don't know exactly when you don't have a an alarm or time frame that goes off before you hit the hammer so how are you going to be able to keep it consistent mm -hmm. and then one of the other things I think that makes a, a good auctioneer is you're going to have to have the ability to make a firm decision and to make that decision very quickly and then to stick to that decision mm -hmm. and to stick to it throughout if you did it to one you've got to try to make sure you play the same rules right through. Mm -hmm. okay. And how do you prepare yourself? Like, How long is the session that you auction? We auction for about an hour, okay. more or less. And then another and colleague, then another colleague mm -hmm. will come in and, and leave you off. So we're basically about four auctioneers. So if you're running on two in both auditoriums, we two, two in a, in a room. So we'll help each other. Um, it's just because you get you get tired of concentrating, and if you start getting tired, you generally start getting losing your pace, and you start going slower. Mm -hmm. So for the buyer's sake, it's a better to have a fresh auctioneer. But there's really not much that you can do to prepare it for the actual act of auctioning itself. Although a lot of preparation does go into the catalogue, so um, mm -hmm. the ladies who who work with us and help us, they all make sure that all the catalogue alterations that occurred last minute have actually just been written mm -hmm. into the into the um, catalogue so that we are aware of it. The rule still belongs to the client, so if he phones us that morning and says he doesn't want to sell anymore, we've got to make sure that we don't sell it. So mm -hmm. they, they'll make the notes and stuff for, the, for us in the catalogue. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say there's that much that you can really do to prepare yourself for the actual act of auctioning. And who actually defines that price that you would start with? Do you do it as a team or how does that happen? We've already got a system mm -hmm. that, that basically pulls it in. So what happens there is we've got one person who is, is responsible for putting a value on the wool. So the, the characteristics of wool that you can't measure, that can't mm -hmm. be objectively measured, you'll actually put it in. And we use the AWICS description, mm -hmm. which is an international description. and you'll actually put on a type. So you'll put that description on and we'll put in all the, the information that was came from the test, uh, Wool Testing Bureau. And we have a program that then calculates a value for us more or less. And then Bossy and Jacques will go through the prices mm -hmm. and make sure because the system does sometimes miss something here or there mm -hmm. or something that's odd that the system didn't pick up and they'll adjust the prices accordingly. And then you study the catalogue before you have an auction as well, that you know each lot very well? Or no, no? I, I don't, okay. I, I don't, but there are, we do have people in the building who are responsible for checking, going through the, auction, the, the mm -hmm. whole catalogue and making sure that the prices are more, they look more or less right. 
So you rely on the catalogue when you're standing there and... We rely on the catalogue. It does sometimes happen that there is a mistake. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it, it becomes important that you've got to actually understand that AWIX description mm -hmm. so that you know what the type is and sort of know the values that you're working with and mm -hmm. have a feel for that. Okay. Because, it, as I say, it does sometimes happen that a price was just typed in incorrectly and if mm -hmm. you've got no idea what those specs mean, you're not going to know where to sell it. How long did you like learn before you did your first auction? Oh wow, they didn't actually give me much time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they they asked me to take the rostrum and I asked to say to them no. I think I was like 22 years old. Uh -huh. uh, didn't think that was a good idea. And then they just teased me and said to me, "But we are going to put you on the rostrum at some stage, so we suggest you start listening." So for a couple of weeks I sat in the, in the auctioning room and listened to the buyers and just got to know who's who so you mm. don't call out the wrong person and then yeah. then from there I just have to you get put onto the rostrum and then you've got to start going so that's basically the way that you learn. But you will always have an experienced auctioneer mm -hmm. alongside you obviously because um, those first couple of auctions you don't really see what you're selling. You're so nervous and trying to concentrate on who's saying what that you've got no idea what's really happening on the catalogue. Yeah, that was going to be my <laughs> next question, like how was your first auction? <laughs> exactly like that. <laughs> I called out the price but I didn't, you far too nervous at that stage to be able to take in all that information so quickly. Because there's a lot of information that has to be read really quickly so your eye almost needs to be trained yeah. to pick up exactly which stats you are the important ones or the most important ones and that does take a while so it's I think it's really just something that you've got to get used to to be able to do it well yeah it takes training yeah on the job <laughs> and yeah so I, I understand that you are actually the first female auctioneer in South Africa which is amazing that is correct yeah. and but that also leads me to my next question like what is it because obviously the wood industry is quite male dominated and also I think if I saw correctly yesterday majority of your buyers are also men. Yes. What is it like uh, to be working in a pretty much male dominated I luckily studied agriculture at an agricultural college which was predominantly male and so I'm I got exposure to that kind of environment which I'm, I'm sure to an extent really did help me to not feel so intimidated um, but being very young it is it is sometimes still a bit a little bit intimidating because not only are you the only woman but you're also the mm -hmm. youngest by far almost uh, now though there are a couple of younger younger buyers that have been pulled in so now it's not so bad <laughs> um, but I must say I think it requires the right mindset uh, you know you don't you have to try to not get too emotional try to not take things too personally because women generally do tend to mm -hmm. want to be emotional and and take things personally and when you're working in a male-dominated environment I think you've got to got to realize that the way that they treat each other is probably sort of the way that they'll treat you um, luckily for me though I've got a I've got very very nice colleagues who it really feels like a family I must say BKB is quite well known for that it feels like a family and they're very supportive of you and even the the buyers when I initially started they were very supportive and they were actually they took it easy on me for a little while to just get it get used to it 
I must say they don't take it easy on me anymore. <laughs> if I do something wrong, I get into trouble just as quickly as all the other auctioneers. <laughs> but they did, they did take to it well. And another question, like moving away from auctioneering, I also understand that you, and you mentioned in the beginning that you grew up on a farm, and I understand it's in the Karoo. So tell me a little bit what it was like growing up on a sheep farm. It, I think that's, that's a priceless experience really. I think that is probably where my passion for the industry came from. I've, if I hadn't been exposed to that, I would not have likely been interested in it. But also, I must say, I think a lot of the knowledge and the experience that I can use in the industry today, I gained over there. It's, it's quite, it makes a different context if you actually know how it works on the farm. Mm -hmm. and how it works where it all starts and to be able to take it through the through the process if I have a look at people who didn't have that background and how difficult it is for them to have to learn the wool and it's it's a characteristic thing that you you've works with with touch and with feel and uh, with the eye and eye coordination basically and it's not everything can be measured so it's it's a very objective or subjective thing to do and I see how they struggle but if you've been exposed to it since a young age, it makes it a lot easier. And I think that's also to an extent maybe why being a woman in the trade, it makes it a little bit easier because if a client speaks to me, I can actually speak to him a little bit about management on the farm. I can speak to him about breeding because my father is a breeder, quite a well-known breeder. And so obviously I've learned a lot from him and a lot from just listening to him and the way that he describes things. So I can actually speak to them and say, well, you know what, this is how the selection works and this is how breeding works and um, your management is going to differ from one area to the next. And to have that background, I think, also gave me a big head start because now they don't just look at you as, what does she know? Because they actually see, okay, wait, hold on, she, she does actually understand this. Mm. So that does help. And what I like what you said earlier is that you are acting on behalf of the interest of the wool growers who's, um, and particularly that particular wool that you're selling in that moment. So mm -hmm. I think that background that you know what all stands behind, all the hard labor, yes. and then right that second you're responsible for getting him or the grower the best price. So yeah. And to, yeah, to understand job. the value that's behind it. Mm -hmm. I think that makes a, uh, that's what makes it for me actually such a rewarding job. I don't think I would have found it so rewarding if I hadn't been exposed to that environment. Yeah. And what do you say to younger generations and also younger women um, who are thinking to get into the wool industry? What, what kind of advice do you give them? Or? I would say you've got to be passionate about wool. You've got to be passionate about the lifestyle. There's sort of a, a feeling to it that if you if you if you love nature and you love that kind of you tend to love that that type of environment you'd probably do better at it um, being a woman in particular as I said if you're going into a male dominated environment you're gonna have to just be a little bit more thick-skinned and it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be any less ladylike I, d I don't think it's I mean there's no there's no point in trying to act like a man you're probably not going to get away with everything that mm -hmm. they do anyway but you just need to sometimes realize that most of the time when they say something they're not 
being, they don't mean it nasty, or they're not trying to be personal about it. It's just the way that they think. So I would say for a woman, you have to try and bear that in mind. But for younger generations, it's a very rewarding industry to work in. I think it's a very unique industry to work in. And it's global. It's not only in one place. So it can, it can, go, it can open up a lot of doorsies. Yeah. One of my friends actually, who also studied at Schrödfundein, has um, just gotten a position quite recently with a buyer. And she's at this moment in America, busy traveling around and seeing everything on the farms and how they do it over there. So it really does open a lot of doors mm -hmm. that other trades don't necessarily. And I think it is a rewarding trade to go into. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Joanne, for your time. I really appreciate talking to you. And good luck with all your options and the work that surrounds the job. Thank you very mm -hmm. much for your time. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode with Joanne Bester. And hopefully you learned a lot about wool auctioneering. If you want to find out more about Joanne as well as about BKB, then head on over to the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 079. Once again, elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 079. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again next week and bye for now.